Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, how it be thy name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not subject us to the final test. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend to whom he goes at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived at my house from a journey and I have nothing to offer him. And he says in reply from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children and I are already in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, if he does not get up to give the visitor the loaves because of their friendship, he will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who finds and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What further among you would hand his, what father among you would hand his son a snake when he asks for a fish? Or hand him a scorpion when he asks for an egg? If you then, who are wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. There's a really good news that we hear in today's uh, gospel and uh, also the first reading I see it uh, played out, and that is that prayer is very powerful. And I know sometimes people uh, can get doubtful of, of whether prayer is efficacious or not. Sometimes when we don't get what we want, it can lead us even to despair or maybe think that God doesn't exist. But let me tell you that God answers every prayer, and prayer is very powerful. And as an example of this, in that first reading, we heard about Abraham having this conversation with God. And God is about to you know, destroy the cities there, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham intercedes, it's kind of a prayer, he's dialoguing with God, and he says, uh, far be it that you would destroy innocent people along with the guilty. What if there's 50 uh, innocent people, good people in these cities, would you treat them the same as if they were uh, the, the, along with the wicked? And God says, for the sake of the 50, I will spare the city. Now, what if there's five less than 50? Uh, would you destroy the cities just because of uh, those five people? 
And God says, even for 45, I'll spare the city. And Abraham goes on and on, right? You know, now that I have dared even to speak to you such, you know, be patient with me. But, you know, what if there's 45? And um, he goes all the way down to a certain number. You know the last number where he stopped at? 10. Very good. You're paying attention. Um, he stops at 10. And as a child, I always thought that was unusual. You know, why didn't he stop at 1? And would you treat the whole city uh, the same, and would you kill one innocent person? I always thought, well, God is so perfect, uh, why didn't he go down to one? And I didn't get an answer to that until actually I was in the seminary, and we studied about Jewish culture, and there is a perfect answer for that question that comes to us from Jewish tradition, and that is, in order for you to have a valid synagogue, you know, we might use the term today, a valid church community, you had to have 10 members in a synagogue. If you didn't have 10 members, you didn't have a synagogue. You had uh, people trying to form a synagogue. But in order for it to be considered a synagogue community, you had to have 10 members. And so if you only had nine members in a synagogue community, you didn't have a synagogue, and there was no obligation as a synagogue to continue to try to transform the culture and minister to the city. And so they, those nine could in fact shake the dust off their sandals and leave. But if you had a community, a valid synagogue, they had an obligation to transform the culture around them and to proclaim God's word. And so this is the reason why uh, Abraham goes down to 10. He says, if I had the minimum of a community, a stable community, uh, will you spare the city? And in that, we see this beautiful truth. The holiness and prayer of those 10 people is more powerful than like hundreds of thousands of people who are wicked and doing all sorts of evil things living in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so that, to me, uh, encourages me in my prayer that your prayer is powerful. The prayer of, you know, 10 people is more powerful, more efficacious than the sins and wickedness of potentially hundreds and thousands of different people. And so we should be encouraged uh, in this about the power of prayer. In today's gospel reading, we hear the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to pray, and he gives them the famous prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, and it's the most widely known Christian prayer. I mean, every Christian church knows and uh, its members can recite the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And when I was growing up, I grew up a lot in the South, like Georgia and North Carolina, um, and a lot of my friends were Southern Baptists. And one of the things they might say to me is, why do y'all Catholics uh, pray with like prayers from a book? You know, why don't you just pray it right out of your heart? And it's like, maybe you're doing too much vain repetition. You ever hear that? Uh, well, is Jesus's prayer vain repetition? I don't think so. And they wouldn't say, they wouldn't say that either. And so having Jesus teach us to pray is kind of like a roadmap that teaches us kind of some of the rules for prayer. This is how you ought to pray. This is how you ought to look at God. This is how you ought to look at yourself in need of forgiveness and need to forgive others. Uh, so Jesus' prayer gives us a kind of roadmap teaching us uh, how we maybe should, should structure our own prayers. And this is true for all the prayers within the church. The Catholic Church is, is rich 
in traditions of prayer, you can actually go to the bookstore and find a book of Catholic prayers that have been approved by the church. The church will say these prayers have been approved. And so by reading prayers that have been composed by saints, we see examples of this is how holy people pray. And by using and uh, praying from the uh, saints, it helps us to develop our own prayer life. It's not necessarily meant that we end there and we only pray other people's prayers, but it kind of guides us and leads us uh, how to pray better by seeing how very holy people pray. Um, and it's, nothing is better than to see how Jesus himself prayed. Now, some of you know that I have a Toyota Tacoma four-wheel, and I like to go out in the desert and go rock climbing. And sometimes I come down some really steep inclines, and it might be muddy. And I remember one time I was coming down the hill, and my tires were almost locked to the left. I was trying to turn left, but it wasn't turning left. And so uh, when I saw the video, I was going straight down, and my tires were completely turned. And I thought, goodness gracious, I could have broke the tires off. I should have just kept them straight. And uh, sure enough, when you're doing a lot of rock climbing like this, you need to get your alignment redone quite frequently. And I uh, happen to get a lifetime free alignments from Firestone. They're going to regret selling me that policy. But when we pray using prayers such as the Lord's Prayer and prayers that the church has approved, it's like getting an alignment in our prayer life. Sometimes people might pray badly. You ever heard of somebody pray a bad prayer? Uh, hopefully not, but there are people who have bad prayers. For example, if someone were to pray a prayer asking God to take away somebody's free will, I think that might be a bad prayer because God respects our free will. And so for somebody to pray, I pray that such and such person fall in love with me. It's like, what kind of prayer is that? You're asking God to turn this person into a robot and fall in love with you? Why not just pray that God will send you the right person? That, will fall, that you'll fall in love, you'll meet the right person that he wants you to meet, rather than take away somebody's free will. And so by praying the prayers of the saints, we get into a kind of rhythm and we learn how to pray well. And so it's like getting a spiritual alignment. And so the words of uh, Jesus' prayer is not vain repetition, and by praying it often and frequently, we, we get into the spiritual habit uh, that we see Jesus praying and one of the things also that Jesus teaches us uh, in this gospel passage is the need for persistence, to keep praying, sometimes the same way over and over and over again, persistence. Uh, the man who was in the house with his children, his family, oftentimes the, the homes were just little square huts. And when they went to bed, it was a big deal. You know, the children oftentimes were covered with the father's cloak as a blanket. And for the father to get up meant to disrupt the entire household in the middle of the night. You know, the wife would get woken up, the children, and he would step in over bodies. Um, and, you know, sometimes those of you who have children and trying to get them to go to sleep know yeah, they can get quite wound up and you don't want to wake them up. And yet, Jesus gives us this as an example. That neighbor is going to keep knocking on the door. Give me some bread. Come on, hurry up. He's like, no, I'm, I'm already in bed. Go, to, go away. He's like, if, he's, if he doesn't answer the door because of their friendship, he will because of his persistence. And he's telling us this in the context of our prayer. 
And so God wants us to, to be repetitious, to pray for things over and over again. Sometimes uh, that's how it works. Um, we have to keep on praying. And sometimes people refer to that as a vain repetition. I don't think so. I mean, what father or mother would tell their child, you know, won't you quit saying I love you? I've heard it enough. None of us would ever say that. And by praying, we're telling God, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. And so prayer is efficacious, and Jesus wants us to repeat our prayers, and he gives us that example. The other thing that Jesus wants in our prayer is he wants us to be confident, confident that God will answer every prayer. He says, those who seek will find, those who knock, the door will be open. Um, so he says that your prayers you can be very confident that God is going to answer your prayers. And so it sounds too good to be true. Does Jesus in fact, or does God in fact, answer every prayer from every person? Doesn't he mean sometimes or some people? Uh, but no, Jesus is saying everyone, that God hears all of our prayers and he answers them all. And it sounds to us maybe to be too good to be true. Um, but it is, in, in fact, true because God is all-powerful. And God chooses to answer prayers in, in different ways. And sometimes when we don't get what we want, we assume that God is not answering our prayers. St. Augustine taught that there are three ways that God answers prayers. Uh, the first way is the way that we want him, is for God to say yes and to give us what we pray for. The second way that God answers our prayers is to say no. I'm not giving you that. <laughs> That's bad for you. I mean, sometimes the most loving thing a mother or father can say to their child is to say no. Isn't that true, isn't it? Sometimes the most loving thing a parent could say to the child is to say no. I won't let you do that. That's bad for you. And so no is a valid answer. And we should accept that if that is God's answer to us. Even Jesus in the agony of the garden, prayed, God, let this chalice, let this cup pass by me. He was human. And he ended that prayer by saying, but not my will, your will be done. And so uh, God chose not to allow that chalice to pass Jesus by, and so Jesus suffered on the cross for us. And if you ask Jesus, how much can I trust God in my prayer? How much can I put my trust in him? He says that you can trust God this much. And he stretches his arms out on the cross. And he wants us to have that confident faith. He says, what father would give his child a snake when he asked for a fish or a scorpion when he asked for, it, for an egg or a stone if he asked for bread? And so he wants us to be confident that God hears and answers our prayers, but he answers our prayers oftentimes in a way that's better than what we asked for. The third way that St. Augustine said God answers prayers is to say yes, but not right now. When I was in high school, I tried to make a deal with God. Anybody ever try that? I tried to make a deal with God. I said, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the Bible from cover to cover. Yeah, you're welcome. I'll read the Bible from cover to cover, and I want you to Help me to get a Ferrari or a Lamborghini and a supermodel for a girlfriend. 
And so that was like my, my prayer. I, and lo and behold, God answered the prayer. And I was like, whoa. But he answered the prayer in a completely different way than I ever expected. He made me a priest. <laughs> You see, because what I was really praying for, and God knew what I was praying for, God knew that I was praying for happiness. What I wanted really was happiness, and I thought that those things outside of me would make me happy, and God said, no, I'm going to answer your prayers, but I'm going to make you happy, not because of those things on the outside, but because of something inside. If your happiness is dependent on a Ferrari, it gets scratched, it breaks down. It's very expensive to maintain, and you're going to lose the happiness. Supermodels are the same way. <laughs> and so to be happy without those things is infinitely better, isn't it? And so God answers a prayer in a way that's much better. But at the time, you might be frustrated with God saying, what are you doing? Why aren't you answering my prayer? Padre Pio said this about prayer. He said, oftentimes, prayer is like a child sitting at the feet of his mother who has in her hand one of those hoops where she's, what do you call it, with the string? She's doing the cross-stitching. And the child looking up at the hoop sees nothing but a mess, a bunch of strings hanging out of the loop, and it, it has no rhyme or reason, and it just looks like chaos and a mess. But every once in a while, the mother would turn the loop and show it to him, and he was oh. There's a beautiful picture on the other side. So that's what it's like. But we look up to God and we just see a mess. And then from God's perspective, he's doing something beautiful with your life. And so these are the different ways that God answers our prayer. He could say yes, he could say no, or he could say yes, but not right now. And we have to have the faith to trust in that. Jesus teaches us when we pray to call God our Father. Now, I, I, the last, when I was in uh, uh, the Holy Land, I went to the place where Jesus actually, where he physically was when he taught his disciples to pray, and they built this big church there. And all along the walls, there is these large mosaics of the Our Father in every language known to man. And so you can see all these different languages, English, Japanese, Korean, Swiss, uh, all sorts of languages, all of them are on the walls there. And you can find the original Aramaic where, that Jesus spoke, and the word is Abba, the word Abba. And I think that maybe our translation of our Father is a little even over-formalized. Maybe the people who translate it say, oh, we can't say Dada. We have to say something a little bit more formal like our Father. But Abba is more like data. And so Jesus is teaching us to look at God not as something so far away and distant that he doesn't want to give us things that are good for us. He's not so far away and distant, but he's intimately close to us like Abba. You know, the Jews had a, a name for God, and they, they weren't allowed to speak it. They had to use it only on certain high holy days. And then sometimes it was only whispered, you know, Yahweh, the name for God. And, and when the scribe was writing and he wrote God's name, Yahweh, he had to stop and break the pen because it had written God's name. How different for Jesus to come along and say, when you pray, say, Daddy, say, Abba. Oftentimes, parents look at their babies and they say, what's the, baby gonna, what's the first thing that, that the baby's going to speak? 
and mother is like, say mama, say mama, mama. And daddy's like, no, say dada, say dada. Well, for the, the people living in the time of Jesus, a baby often makes noises like Abba, Abba, Baba, Baba. And that's the word that Jesus uses for prayer. It's to go to dad, go to father like that. And so what father, what daddy wouldn't want to lovingly give his children everything that they asked for? But sometimes the answer is no, but it's for a, a better purpose. He has something even better in mind. And to seal the deal for us, that we might know that God always wants to give us what is best for us, he gives us a pledge. And that pledge is going to be offered to us once again this morning. And that's the Eucharist. The Eucharist represents God's heart. Body, blood, soul, divinity. God giving himself completely to you. I don't want to hold anything back from you that is good. And so I give you myself completely in the Eucharist. And so the Eucharist is God's pledge that he will never hold back from you the things that are most important to, to you, to your life, to your happiness. And so as we receive the Eucharist, God's pledge of his love, complete, total self-giving to us, let's trust that he hears and answers our prayers. Amen.